Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Simpson. Hey, Chad. Hey, Gian. Chad, today's guest is Lee Walker, head women's tennis coach at TCU. What What are you thinking about this uh, episode? Well, one thing that uh, I think our listeners will really like to hear is is how Coach Gian Lemmy what emotion he was dealing with uh, when COVID hit. But uh, on top of that, I loved um, I loved so much about what Lee had to say. And he got into UTR, which, uh, which is universal tennis rating. It's pretty new for tennis. And I think a lot of coaches um, maybe struggle or think through these metrics. Um, and, and I know my players, as soon as we get in the van after a match, they look up their opponent's UTR. Would you guys see that too at Liberty? Yes, um, it's. I think it's becoming a an identity crisis in tennis with UTR, and I think it happens with all other sports with star systems as well. But you know, the players are talking about I am a 11 UTR, or you know, I am a four star, and that takes on an identity of itself, and that's not healthy. You know, because you can improve and you can decrease your UTR, um, and that should not you know, uh, bother you and should not make you think that you're worth less or more just because you're increasing it or decreasing it. Yeah. And uh, for sure, it, there's value in it, like a five star versus a one star. Like there's, it gives you a baseline, a 12 UTR versus an eight UTR. You kind of get it, but there's a lot of danger. I agree. And, um, and just owning, this is who I am. He's a higher UTR. So I'm for sure going to lose this match. I can't can't stand that. The one thing I do like about UTR is that this is the only time that I will be ranked in the same spot as uh, Roger Federer, all in one system. You know, so that's that's the only good thing about UTR. For sure. Nah, and uh, Coach Coach Walker was uh, was awesome. We're thankful for his time in the middle of this uh, busy spring season. He also at the end gets into how he handles uh, a star-studded class and a lot of powerful players in his lineup and has a lot of great wisdom and insight. So we're ready to get into this interview right now. Coach Walker, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so thankful for your time. We like to start every episode with our power question, and that's what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, first of all, and thanks for doing this for everyone. Um, you know, it's in terms of being a Christian coach in, in, in viewing it as leadership, I have four statements painted on my wall in my office. Um, one is reject passivity. Uh, I want to be a, a coach that is not passive, but speaks truth into the lives of people or also steps into the situations with a listening ear. Um, the other phrase is accept responsibility. So, I mess up and fail all the time. Um, and so anything that I do wrong or anything that goes poorly within our program, like I want to step out and accept responsibility for that and uh, demonstrate the humility and, and ownership of situations. Uh, the next one is lead courageously. You know, I think God is clear in his word and he's clear with us and he gives us a clear vision of what he he wants us to be like. And so I want to be that way as a coach. I want to uh, lead well, cast a vision. And then the last one is invest eternally. So 
trying to help our players define a larger purpose in their lives beyond the tennis court and uh, for our staff as well. So those are the four big hitters that I always come back to. I mean, obviously yeah. I could speak for probably three hours about that question, but uh, if I had to hone it down, it's like, bam, the, yeah. those would be the four phrases. How long, how long have you had those four statements for you? Uh, I've, you know, I've been developing with those. Uh, it came through a biblical, uh, biblical leadership study I did probably about 12 years ago. And so I painted them the first year in my office, first year I got to TCU, which is seven years ago, um, uh, we painted them in the office. So uh, probably for about the last 12 years, been trying yeah. to grow and learn and, and have those just be at the forefront of yeah. my life, not just with a coach, but just as a, uh, with my family as well, my wife yeah. and kids and and everything. But it's, it's nice to have those filters uh, for everything. So yeah, about 12 years. Yeah. Um, I have a quote here from a current player, um, Stevie Kennedy. Um, I know her and her okay. family very well. Yeah. Um, and I, I asked her to write a quote about what you mean to her and her development. So here it is. Oh, wow. The special cry. thing, the special thing with coach Walker that can be so hard to find in college, college athletics is he truly cares about his players on and off the court. He wants to prepare us for life after college and has given me so many opportunities to grow as a young adult and as a Christian. He's always empowering and inspiring us to reach out and help those in need in our community. And I couldn't be more grateful to him for all of that. When you hear that, what comes to mind? Yeah, it's encouraging. Uh, Stevie's awesome. Just practiced with her this morning. So yeah, <laughs> it's cool to see her. She's really, she's really been a great leader for us. As I've gotten older, one thing that's really neat is is you know, I'd say now probably, you know, three to five times a year, we'll either get like a text or an email or a letter in the mail from a, the former players long ago that, yeah. and it, it really is encouraging uh, as a coach to get that feedback because we fail so much and, and, and do so many things the wrong way. And, and so for the, for the players, for them to be kind of gracious in return and not hold those, yeah those errors over our head uh, is nice. And Stevie's like that, but she's just so mold moldable. She's a sponge. And, um, but she's been great. And, and in fact, Stevie is an interesting one because we challenged her one year to take a, take a lead on our off court kind of community endeavors. And she did poorly and she actually didn't do that well at all. And we met with her at the end of the year and it was a very hard situation because my initial response was like, no, you're not, you don't get this position anymore. And then I realized like how unloving and like unbiblical yeah. that is for me to like even think that or say that. And it's like, it was more just like, Hey, Stevie, this was kind of the expectation. It didn't happen, but we know you're totally capable and, and believe in you. So like, how about just go for it again this next year? And didn't mention it one more time, yeah. like literally didn't check in at all. And I think it was, it was last year, actually last season, she went on, I think she was the um, Arthur Ashe Sportsmanship and Leadership Award winner and just took so many initiatives in Fort Worth and TCU community and never really. So sometimes they give that award to like the coach or like the yeah. team. And I was kind of like, this is not definitely not my award. This is definitely Stevie's. Okay. <laughs> she, she totally owned that. So uh, now that's really sweet of Stevie to say, and, and we're grateful to have somebody like her in the program. Yeah.
Um, let's go back now as a uh, young Lee. Um, give us a, a little bit of your backstory, um, your faith story, and how you got to now at TCU. Sure. So I grew up in the junior tennis world in America, like a lot of a lot of our junior tennis in Mary. It's kind of a grind. You're chasing after little rankings and points and different things. I had a good thing. There was no UTR back then. Yeah, no UTR (laughs) back then. Good grief. What a monster that was. That would that is. Now, so my parents were great. Uh, My my parents were athletes. My dad was a division one quarterback in college and we grew up around. My older brother was a college tennis player. Uh, it was a Christian home. Um, parents did a great job, but unfortunately, my identity became more about being a good person and winning in sports. And so, uh, that was a, most of my identity as a person was: Can I win tennis matches? Can I be a good athlete? And can I be a good person? Can I, you know, be around the right clubs, the right ministries, the right things, and put on a face? So, it was my junior year of college. Uh, where I'd had so many people pour into my life, but I just, my, you know, my heart was not at a place I was very uh, conceited and and just into myself. But junior year of college, there were peers of mine I grew up with. So that were doing really good. And so, for example, I grew up with Andy Roddick in the junior tennis world and he was number one in the world at the time. Robbie Ginepri was top 30 in the world at the time. And Bobby Reynolds was number one in college tennis at the time. And as a junior, 14, 15, 16, 17, growing up through cut, like these were my, like, you know, these are people I played with. And I would, here I was playing number three and four on a college tennis team that was doing pretty good, but not super. And it just really hit me for the first time. It's like, man, I really am. I, this is, I feel kind of empty and lonely. And so that was kind of my identity crisis in college. And Gratefully, I, I had parents who continued to pursue me and love me well. I had a campus minister who really uh, just gave his life away to me. And I had an assistant coach, uh, Paul Goble, who's now the head coach at the University of Memphis, uh, re- really just gave me a lot of quality time and attention that I needed to develop that, that inner part of my life. And so between my junior year and senior year of college was a, a radical transformation of uh, becoming a Christian uh, and then also, and, and that just reshaped how I went about uh, my sports and everything and reframed everything for me. So I, I, I make sure I clarify for people that, you know, when, if you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that everything in your life goes great. Uh, that's not the reality. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes so, it's the opposite. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's the opposite. And, and so, but for me, in a, you, it, you know, it just so happened that that, that radical transformation did um, change so much about the way I performed just because my performance was just not, it was based on so many other superficial things before. And so that, that started just a whole way, new way of thinking in my life. And so I, uh, I did that graduated a little bit. I never really thought of, uh, playing a perfect, professional tennis uh but a lot when of you compare people. yourself to andy roddick it puts a damper on things yeah unfortunately <laughs> he's a decent player he did pretty good uh so i played a little bit of pro afterwards but not really not really invested there my head coach actually retired assistant coach became the head coach and the assistant coaching job came up and so did you I always was- want to be a uh 
like work with tennis even growing up or did you want did you have no, a dream job growing up not really no not really i went a lot of different directions but i will say the older i got the more i looked back and realized how fortunate i was to have all the coaches that i have you know when you grow up you don't realize if your coaches are good or bad because you just assume that everybody else has the same coaches and then you get older and you realize like oh wait like that my high school basketball coach was actually really really good my you know, coach, I, I played for Chuck Creasy at Clemson. It's like, wow, this guy was way ahead of his time, wealth of knowledge there. And then mm -hmm. Phil Chamberlain and just a lot of other coaches, even from the time I was little. So that process did start happening at the end of my playing career, where I started to be more grateful for the coaches I had in my life. But then I just got that opportunity in Memphis to be a graduate assistant with um, the men's program. And so even during that time, it wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do, but I was growing a lot in my faith and I was learning how to love the team well. And so the both sides of that were going really good. The personal side of like just having relationships with the guys on the team and helping them through the same sort of stuff that I was going through. And then also on the court coaching, like the, the tennis aspect, I really enjoyed and that was going well. So that those first two years in grad school as an assistant coach was when um, there was kind of more of that affirmation of like, okay, this is this is something God could be calling me to, and um, God could use me. Yeah. And and yeah, so that's how I got into coaching, and then uh, transitioned over to the women's side. Our women's coach at University of Memphis retired after about thirty years, and so I was the interim head coach at twenty four years old and got thrown right into it so uh that that began my kind of learning were there any any lessons you learned in those first few years as a head coach that you you always pass it down to your assistant coaches or to other people yeah well i i would say my coaching philosophy really crystallized over that time period you know i i remember starting out extremely passionate i had a notebook you know two inches thick for every single player on the team but then by the my, by my last few years we had kind of our coaching philosophy down to one page yeah. and it was like okay how do we make this absorbable for every player and how do we you know make this to where it can yeah. really be consumed and so yeah just simplify i would say over that time I, i'm really big on one pagers i i i tell everybody i talk to like let's let, you should be able to put your your life motto, your life mission, your resume, whatever you're thinking of doing, your coaching philosophy, put it on one page. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, as you can tell, I talk too much. So yeah. I, that's, oh, that's, no, no, that's tough no. for me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, and then you, you were there at Memphis um, for a long time, 11 years as a coach, besides your playing time. And then when did you decide to move on and become the head coach at TCU? Well, a lot of things happen. You know, I would say God put a lot of things in the path that were were really affirming and encouraging to me. Uh, I I was coaching at Memphis and we were kind of doing our thing and we steadily climbed. And so I had this confidence that I could do what I was doing at Memphis and that that God was really kind of working in and through what was going on there. And he he had blessed that with some really good on-court stuff, but also some off-court things. And so, but outside of that realm, 
you know, there's still a lot of insecurity. And um, so there was a, there was a few trial and errors of just interviewing at different places and getting a few, I'm, I'm from West Tennessee. So I always okay. saw myself, I always, I, I just believe you got to bloom where you're planted and you can't look far ahead. And so I, I didn't ever really seek out other opportunities. I always felt like I could be at Memphis forever. Um, but a couple of things happened. My buddy, Wes Knott, he was the associate head coach at USC at the time. He got hired as the, the national coach for the USTA summer team. And they let him select an assistant coach to help him for the summer. And that he, he asked me to join him. And so that, that summer, I believe it, the first summer I did that was 2012 or 13. That, that allowed me to work a lot with the USTA lead national coaches and just open my eyes up to a, a, just a, a lot of different people. And I remember there was one night that I set up really late with one of the, the coaches, um, Dustin Taylor. He coached at Virginia for a while. And uh, I don't think he's in collegiate coaching anymore, but he was with the USTA at the time. And I remember we stayed up to like one o'clock in the morning, just talking about our coaching philosophy and different things we thought. And for me, as a young coach at University of Memphis, talking with the lead national coach of the USTA, um, it was a, it was a, it was a, a nervous time, yeah. you know, because I didn't know how it would be received. I was passionate and I believed in what I was doing, but I wasn't sure how this would transfer to another level or a different environment. And um, his gracious um, just response and encouragement to me was, was so uplifting. And I think that conversation alone that ended up leading to a lot of other conversations with players and other coaches. And I ended up doing that for four summers in a row with the USTA. And I would say that, you know, God really put those pieces in line to give me just some affirmation and encouragement that, you know, what maybe going in another place could happen. And, and, and that, and so, um, I began to just look not really, aggressively, but just to be open to the idea that, that what could be out there. And so uh, my wife and I have always wanted to be in cities. And so um, TCU being in, in Dallas, Fort Worth was something that was attractive to us. And um, it's just something we've, we prayed about and ended up happening and, and was, was pretty smooth transition, but you know, it was tough. It's, it's, it's a very hard thing to leave your hometown or somewhere where you've been a long time. And so um, it was a very, it was tough to meet with those players even that I feel like I really gave my heart and soul to, and they gave their heart and soul to, to me and the program and, and to say, I'm, I'm, I'm moving here. And so um, we take the same approach here at TCU. I'm in my seventh season now. And um you know, bloom where you're planted. And I plan to be here for my whole career and I don't, I'm not looking to go anywhere else, but yeah, also, um, also don't control the future. So yeah. Uh, the, the tagline of our podcast is the, the mission field is right where you're at, you know? And so exactly. we're always just reminding coaches, like you, you just focus in the present, you know, exactly. God has you there for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Now let's fast forward to 2020 season. Sure. Um, every everybody's season got ruined. Um, what <laughs> what have you learned from mid March until you know until our season started here now the past, past few weeks? What was some of some lessons that you've learned that will help you now that the season's starting back up and normality is coming back a little bit that will definitely help you now? Sure. Um, well, I felt like the Lord was gracious in giving the entire world almost like a Sabbath rest. I feel like uh, the biggest theme kind of that I felt throughout the time was just we're so busy and we're moving so fast and we're, and, and we're just missing him and we're missing uh, who he is. And so I've really just, it was an extremely healthy time um, for, for me personally and my family just to reorient my whole life around, you know, what's really important. And so um I've tried to carry that into everyday things. So obviously 2020 was a giant pause for many months. And, and for many people, it still is a giant pause. Um, but it's asking the question, what does that look like for me to have those that pause during the day, during the week, during the month? And how can I, you know, rest? in his provision and care and love more consistently. So I think that's, that's been the biggest thing, just that um, it, it's okay to be passionate about what we're doing, but we just don't see everything and yep. uh, we need to slow down. So I've been really just encouraged with how, uh, my personal family, just my wife and my kids, like we, we just tried to radically change our schedule. And then I think obviously that, that bleeds over into the program and our, and our, our team just to, to slow down and rest and, and recover and make sure we're not missing things and we're not missing the relationship. So uh, it's, it's very tempting right now, I would say, I think right now, as we're starting the season, you know, every coach, likes to get pumped up for their dual match yeah. season. And it's really easy for every match to just start hinging on whether we win or lose. So um, that rest was the one big thing. And then the second thing, I guess the applicable thing that we're doing for our season with our team is, is that it's um, everything is now TCU versus TCU. Um, we're really not, getting into our opponents and who we're playing and what the rankings are and all this. We're just really trying to do a better job of defining the practical things that we can control and how can we win those mental battles on the court that we all deal with. Um, so those would be the two highlights, I would say just that Sabbath rest, solitude, having the solitude and quietness every day and every week. And then also, uh, reframing how we look at the spring season that, you know, I play North Texas tomorrow. You know, okay. if, if North Texas wins and we lose, it's not a great day for North Texas and a terrible day for TCU. Although most of the, you know, articles and social media might display that it's, there's actually 
you know, both, both programs can, can win at very important character issues that go on tomorrow from two to five. And both programs should be radically aggressive about defining those for their players. And yeah. so we're trying as hard as we can to do that. And I, and I, and so, um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, what about you? Tell me what, what about, what about you? Well, that's, I, I've, I've shared it in a podcast before, but we were actually in Hawaii and we played North Texas in Hawaii the day before COVID hit and NBA shut down and all that stuff. And we were playing Hawaii that night that Rudy Gobert tested positive. It rained. So our match got canceled because we couldn't make up that day. And so the Thursday, our everybody shuts down and our season's over. We're in Hawaii and I come home and my kid's school is shut down and I'm a guy of routines and I like my routines <laughs> and I got so angry. I just felt so angry inside. Like I can't do anything and I love my job and mm. I'll give anything to just go out and just play matches and practice and go recruiting and all this stuff. And mm. I just felt so angry. And at mm. one point it just hit me like, just like our mission, you know, our mission field is right where you're at, like pour into your family, man. This is not, yes. you're never going to have this opportunity yes. again, Yes. you know? And so my wife is a nurse, so she had to go and work. And so I was in charge. <laughs> I was in charge of the kids, you know, and gosh, those first few weeks were really hard, but oh, yeah. then we got into a routine, a new routine, and it was able to, to, to adjust. But you know, those moments, those first few moments were just terrible, but it taught me yeah. that first of all, I can do a really great job at work with a lot less time. You know, I don't need to put in 10 hour works in the office. Yes. You know, I can do three, four focused hours and be just fine. Yes. Um, and, and I hope coaches understand that now that seasons are starting back up our jobs are, you don't have to go back to your old ways, like figure yes. it out, figure it out what you can do better. And, yes. and then move on and add those things to your life. Yes. You know? And so, and I, again, with your last comment that you made, it's like defining those expectations for your own team. You know, I just told, I just told our girls a few days ago, there's nothing you can do that will make us coaching staff stop loving you. You know, mm -hmm. like if you lose a match, we're not going to cancel Olive Garden dinner and give you Subway. You know, like, <laughs> you do not have to worry about that when yeah. um when, when you're in a tight match and you know and maybe you're about to lose those things have nothing to do with our love for you and our care for you obviously exactly. if you don't try if you play bad there are consequences to it but it doesn't mean we don't love you you know right um but and so i think it allowed our girls to play with a lot more freedom you know I absolutely think you have to emphasize that you, you know yes. they won't know unless you tell them yes um, hundred percent. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Um, coach, my, my last question for you, sure. and this is a little selfish maybe, but okay. <laughs> this last like 2020, that summer where everybody got an extra year of eligibility, um, yeah. <laughs> we were able to recruit girls who are 22, maybe sometimes 23 year olds that have played four years in a different university and you get them for yeah. one year. Right. You know? And in your case, you got two or three girls who played number one for their previous universities for a number of years. And now they're coming into a place where there's a lot of good players already. 
Yes. Um, and the only thing I can equate to is Kentucky basketball. It's like <laughs> everyone out there is, was an all-star wherever they were. And you somehow bring them all together for one year because they're going to go to yeah. the NBA. Um, <laughs> how, how have you been able to, to handle that dynamic? Sure. Well, I think, um, one, we have a really good culture on our team right now. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to recruit with is a kind of like role, role clarity, you know? So even though you're recruiting a lot of people that have maybe played number one, you have people that have more years than others. You have people that have liked the spotlight and want that number one show court. You have other girls that don't really want the spot. They want to stay under yeah. the radar. And so Thankfully, like we started really early in the summer, getting this group together on the on Zooms and just talking about, you know, how do we love and respect each other and how do we be a good teammate and, and all those things. And then the other thing I learned and I had to learn, I, I've learned it in the past and unfortunately I had to learn it again now, but you never, it never works out how you think it will work out ever. And so unfortunately, you know, two of those girls, we have six girls, we have six of our nine girls on the team that have played number one and, and been yeah. successful. Well, two of those girls are out with seizing ending injuries. Yeah. And so we had one girl, uh, beat a, she beat, you know, a really good player, beat a number one girl on another school's team in our conference. Then the next day beat another number one player from another school in our conference team. And then the next day she's playing with another number one girl from and tears her ACL in the middle of the match. Mm. And so I've never run to a girl on the tennis court when they've gotten hurt because I feel like they're all maybe subtle injuries. This one was the first time I've ever run to somebody on the court. It was very bad. Uh, and so she's not playing this year. She's out and she'll, she's recovering really, really good. And she's going to be uh, back next year. So that in some ways takes care of itself a little bit in terms of, oh, we have all these people that can play number one, two, who's going to play number one. And then we had another girl have had to have her fourth wrist surgery and, and she's also out for the season. And so in some ways, those things kind of take, took care of themselves, but I will say before those things happened, our group was doing a phenomenal job of just loving and respecting each other and, and, and enjoying that. Like you can, you know, we've had situations where, okay, yeah, you have a lot of people and they're all wanting the spotlight and it, you know, it, it creates a lot of drama. Really nobody on this team was doing that. And it was, it was so refreshing. This is one of the most enjoyable years I've had coaching, um, the team just so hungry and they, and they really do love each other and they're super coachable and uh, they'll play anywhere. And so I kind of a long answer to your question, but I, I, I do think it, it is helpful for coaches to define role clarity as soon as possible. So we, we knew that was the case back in May when we signed these girls. And so that those conversations started in May, June, July, so that it was kind of like, yeah. it's the elephant in the room. Let's, let's, let's be direct and honest. We're going to treat you like adults and, and say like it is, but yeah. you're always managing those individual goals and the team goals. And if you can match it up to where people can achieve their individual goals within the team goal setting, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, but it takes a lot of honesty and, and open conversation. And yeah. when we've been able to have that 
you know, you've had, I've had teams before with that the number three player makes NCAs and is an individual and the number one and two player don't, you know, or the number two yeah. doubles team makes it and the number one team. You say, how does that happen? It's like, well, there's a ranking formula and it all works out in the end, however yeah. it should. So just because you're not playing number one doesn't mean you're, you're not able to accomplish perhaps individual goals or whatever, yeah. but um, so, but it is nice. I'm telling you that the, it's different talking to a 16, 17 year old than it is a 22, 23 year old. And so one of the things that we enjoyed about the Zoom recruiting was uh, most of these graduate transfers, they've just been through everything yeah, uh, the, and their families have been through everything. So you really just kind of cut through all of it. And there's a lot of open and honest dialogue right from the get go. And um, it's very different than recruiting people that could yeah. come in as freshmen. And, and we really enjoyed it. So we're, we're grateful for the team we had. We actually just signed another uh, graduate transfer for next fall. We can't announce that yet, but um, it's just worked. It's, it seemed to work out well for us and it's been a good match. And so I think it's going to be here for the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think every coach needs to adapt to that new so, type of recruiting. Exactly. So, so maybe we'll have that Kentucky basketball team. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll pull it off this season. We'll maybe. see. There We've had it. People have stepped up a little bit, so we'll see. Good. Yeah. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Um, we like to finish every episode praying for our guests. How can we be praying for you? Well, just as the season starts, you know, I think uh, this is our, I think this is our most tempting time as a coach is the next three months is for our, our, our eyes and our thoughts and our heart and our minds to just completely shift to winning and losing tennis matches. And as silly as that sounds, you know, we all know logically that sounds so foolish and silly. Uh, but when you're in the middle of it, it's very hard to, so I think, uh, yeah, just that, that I, that I would be able to overcome that and, and that God would be gracious and help me to win that battle to, to love our team well and to judge our performance based off the controllables and our character and, and things like that and not the other things. Seems like in the summer, that's not really a needed prayer request. And even in the fall, that's not really a needed one. But then you get close, you get starting the thick of the dual match season and it's like, oh man, here it comes. All right, then it shouldn't change in regards to the season, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, thanks. Let me let me close out in prayer and then thank we'll, you. We'll be on our way. Thank Jesus, you. Jesus, thank you so much for this time with Coach Lee. And uh, thank you for his leadership at TCU and in Memphis. Um, Lord, I pray that you continue to put him in places where he can blossom and he can minister to, to athletes and to his staff and to his family and be very effective for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'll help every coach um, around the country to not be defined by their results, to not go result seeking, Lord, but go you seeking, that they will mm -hmm. seek you and your presence first and foremost, and that the results will be uh, secondary in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Greg. Amen. Amen. That uh, was fantastic. Uh, Gene, I loved your uh, vulnerability in sharing that. And, and, uh, and for Lee Walker, right at the uh, at the get go, I loved um, just his four his four things he painted on his wall: uh, reject, passivity, two, accept responsibility, 
lead courageously and for invest eternally. What were your uh, biggest takeaways, Jim? Yeah, Chad, I think this is our power question. You know, that was his answer to the power question. And we've gotten a lot of feedback that that has been like the most important question that we can ask somebody, you know. Um, but I was really impressed by the thoughtfulness of his answers. And he was only one of the few guests who asked me or, you know, asked us, what are we learning or how are we feeling? And that's how, I, you know, I got vulnerable with him and talked about how I was feeling during the COVID when it first hit. Um, but I'm so thankful for Coach Walker. Um, he also talked about blooming where you're planted. Same message as uh, Beth Walker from a few weeks ago. And so I think that's turning into a, a little theme in our episodes is being present where you are and not, not looking ahead too much. Um, and then him equating the COVID you know, outbreak with the Sabbath rest that the world needed. I thought that was just um, so good and so, so thoughtful because that's true. We're so busy. Just go, go, go. And I feel like, you know, God said, hey, maybe the world needs a Sabbath rest for everybody. Yeah. And, and just as coaches, we understand like practice and discipline. And it's just something I've been wrestling through with the Sabbath and um, having having the quiet times. Like it's not going to be perfect, but we're practicing this. We're getting better with this. We're building the, the discipline. That's true, Chad. And coach. Um, we want to finish as, as we always do here, um, telling you that the mission field is right where you're at.